This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, One Night Only, The Blues Brothers, Rhythm and Blues Review. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. So it's 1980, and I am a child in Arizona. We are one of the few families on the block to have cable because my dad works for Motorola, and he developed a lot of the patents that are in the actual cable box. And so for that reason alone, we've got cable. Early cable doesn't have a whole lot on it. There's movie channels, and they're running any movie they can find. You'll You'll hear a lot of people talking about how back in the day, Beastmaster was about the only thing on HBO, and they ran it three times a day. But one of the other movies they had a lot was The Blues Brothers, a brilliant, brilliant comedy starring John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd as the eponymous characters as they go on a mission from God to save the orphanage, and I loved it. And it's a good thing I loved it, because it was on three or four times a day. And I would watch it every time it was on, and I turned it into a challenge to see if I could watch it 100 times. I did. As a child, in 1980, I watched the movie Blues Brothers 100 times plus. Um, And here's the thing, it never got old. Not one viewing did I regret. I loved it every time it came on. To this day, when the Blues Brothers is playing, I start laughing at whatever the part is because it's still funny. We did a show a few uh, months back about how comedy doesn't survive. This survives. That's something we talk about today, uh, as well as the gags, the premises, the the logic behind this universe. It's such a fucking awesome movie. I want you to watch it, and then I want you to uh, listen to this podcast again and tell your friends. Or don't. I I honestly, I, I could give a shit. Let's do the show. Hey, everybody. The holidays are over, and now everything sucks. This is Eric. Hi, Eric. Hi, Eric. (laughs) This is Brian. I agree. Everything sucks. Take a drink. Uh, This is Chris, and I am totally indifferent to any of that sentiment. But have a drink. But I miss the pumpkin spice latte and the gingerbread and the the flavors of of holiday. Now it's just cold. Yeah, you realize you can get that shit anytime you want. You don't just have to get it. Like Christmas time, you could make every yes, day but now Christmas. It, now it comes with like with like sadness instead of holly jollies. <laughs> where so. yeah, where have we been for two years? Everything is laced with sadness. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> take another. And with drink. that, it's the magnificently huge podcast. Welcome, welcome. Uh, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We have half a pack of cigarettes. Full tank ass, half a pack of cigarettes. It's (laughs) It's dark. dark. And we're wearing, yeah. Hit it. I bought a microphone. Ah, nice. 
<laughs> but before uh, so, we get to that, we got yeah. a little thing we call the fresh shit, right? Oh, thank God. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. It's fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Who's got fresh shit? I've got a new one, if you want to hear about it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, it's on Amazon. I randomly found it. It's a show called The Legend of Vox Machina. Have you heard of this thing? Yes, yes. It's it's like, uh, it's it basically it's a fantasy show, very Dungeons and Dragony uh, motif, but it's definitely body and R rated. So it's sort of like a, uh, I don't know. You ever read the book Thieves World? It was like a whole series back in the '80s where it was just a bunch of anthologies where all the fantasy writers would write about this fictional town called Sanctuary. It kind of has that vibe. But it's mm-hmm. literally the best D&D campaign I never had as a 13-year-old. It's just the weirdest show. They're like slay dragons and they swear a lot and there's just all kinds of goofy nonsense. It's only and like it's, three episodes in, but, you know. And it's based on a D&D campaign that they like did as a live cast on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, 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 what do they do? Crowd Crowdsourced funding to get it animated really yeah. yeah it's i would i would have never guessed it had anything to do with this from the title yeah <laughs> well they they make a big uh well they almost let the joke out of the bag but they they almost explain that it's an inside joke that they're called vox machina they're like this band of mercenaries that call themselves vox machina which just means voice machine and it's a cartoon show which is why they did that but they but before they ever really go in and explain that meta, it just kind of drifts off and then they go into something else. But uh it's just your typical ridiculous band of mercenaries. Everybody's got a, a thing, and luckily they all get to do their thing when they're doing the campaign. Uh so magic and swords and sorcery and just nonsense. Uh tonally it's a little bit uneven. It tries it tries to be serious at times, and then other times it's just flat out just goofy like Kevin Smith stuff where it's just, you know, just mm. off the rails. So and you say it's a cartoon. Yeah. It's animated. Very well done. Okay. Uh, it's a, you know, episodes like 25 minutes maybe. So it's a good way to turn your brain off, honestly. So, you know, on Amazon, the legend of Vox Machina, I'm waiting for new episodes to drop on Friday so I can kind of see if I'm still liking it or if it wears thin. But uh, first three episodes, hmm. pretty solid. Got to tell you. Got to tell you. Solid, solid. Right solid. on. Uh, nice. But apart from that, uh, I also started uh, the show Pennyworth, which I guess has been around <laughs> for a few too. years. Uh, but it's on HBO Max. And I'm like, sure, I'll give it a shot. Is it? This is, this is the Alfred show? Yeah, like yeah. The, the, the Alfred origin story set in the mod 60s. Uh, He's like an SAS, retired SAS guy who ends up getting like a security job with Thomas Wayne. Yeah. And then Martha shows up. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, are, are you surprised at how fucking dark and violent and gory it has been, Eric? No, I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised. Uh, I wasn't like made by the guy that people. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, either it's going to be very you know campy like gotham was or they're gonna go for it and once they went for it i was like oh thank you i'm in yeah it actually kind of feels like the kingsman it's like a a tv show kingsman 
huh. with, the with less less winky winky. But yeah, it's it's uh, so it's got less so horrible. The king's man should have been perhaps. Yeah. Well, they're <laughs> they're definitely milking the the swing in sixties London spy movie vibe. Uh, it's very Michael Caine, Harry Palmer, Ipcress yeah. file type stuff. Uh, and it's just funny because you know Michael Caine ends up playing Alfred in in the Nolan movies, and I think that's kind of where they're <laughs> they're projecting it. So it's like this is young Michael Caine. He totally fits the bill, uh, but it's very uh, you know Ipcress file funeral in Berlin, which I love those yeah. Harry Palmer movies. Uh, so it really is clicking off so many boxes for me. But then every now and then it just goes totally super violent and like headshots and people getting disemboweled and inviscerated. It's like, what in the fuck? So it's, it's disconcerting from time to time. So first of all, would, is, is this made better or worse by being in the Batman universe or would it be better it's, if it was just its own thing? Uh, honestly, it's, it's pretty much its own thing. The Batman stuff is not even overtly out there it's just very tertiary yeah i think it makes more sense if you were a fan of gotham because mm -hmm. there they used the version of alfred that you know it's 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 not it's not always in there the idea that alfred is a badass is a former soldier yeah yeah that he knows what he's doing that he's not just a butler i mean they hint at it in dark knight when you know alfred talks about you know, chasing fugitives in Asia or something. It's like some of the comic books, Alfred. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a, he's a tough. Yeah. And this, I think is just, is only necessary if you are a fan of Gotham. So is this, is this in fact a prequel to Gotham, the series then? It feels kind of like it. Sort of. Yeah. It's not as weird. Like Gotham kind of embraced sort of the Burton-esque aspects of the Batman world. A little more than this show is, uh, but it does definitely gets a little outlandish. Uh, it's it's got kind of an Alan Moore vibe almost. Like the I think it was the second or third episode, they do a thing where there's like public executions being televised in Britain, where they hang the people and then cut them open and disembowel them. And you're, I'm like, that is full on like Alan Moore Watchmen dystopic. Uh, kind of nonsense but it somehow works you almost believe that that's something that happened (laughs) like people just sat around and watched (laughs) watched executions on the bbc just for shits and giggles so it's and this is on hbo max right yeah yeah was it made for hbo max was it made for something else and now they're just showing it it was it was made for epics epics yeah so it was definitely made for a a cable provider or a like a, a service provider. Yeah. So they get away with a lot of rated R type stuff. The people who made okay. Gotham also made Rome. So I'm pretty sure that they were used to violence and felt restricted by making a, <laughs> yeah. a network TV right, show. Right, right, right. Because Rome was fucked up when it comes yeah. to violence. I love Rome. That had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much I'm fun sad it didn't it. continue. Yeah. Well, especially when the first season was all about uh, killing. Uh, Caesar, and so it's basically just another version of of that story, but done yeah. so brutally. It's like, man. So some of that carries over to this, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fun. 
But out like part of the backstory here is Alfred's wooing a woman and they're like having a romance and getting it married. And like from the first episode, I'm like, oh, she is so dead. At some point during this series, she's just <laughs> gone, dead, kaput. Because yeah. obviously Alfred does not have a wife. So we'll see how that plays out. So I did. I. It's funny how mu- how many times though I kept thinking I don't like who they cast for Alfred because he's like a skinny kind of kid, and I kept thinking, oh. You want Thomas Hardy. If not Thomas Hardy, then the guy in this with the beard who plays his, you know, his cohort. <laughs> well, that should have been. I don't know. Because yeah. you figure if you're, if you're following the timeline and so it's like Michael Caine era Alfred that we're used to, which is, again, I think was what they're sort of hinting at. It's you want that linky kid. Because if you think about Michael Caine back in the 60s when he was starting out, that's what he was. He was just lanky, skinny, like, boom. Uh, yeah. Which is part of why I like the the Harry Palmer stuff because it's just he's just got the goofy Austin Powers glasses. He's very unassuming, but at some point you know he'll just fuck you up without hesitation. <laughs> I mean that's the character, yeah. And so that's sort of what they've imbued uh, <laughs> Pennyworth with. And so it's it's a very weird winky winky, but not quite explicit nod to that sort of stuff. And so I'm it okay. checks off all my boxes. So I'm I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah. You're right. And it makes me want to watch Get Carter again. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there you have it. So if you like a little bit of the ultra Hello. violence, Brian. Hello. Okay. Hello, Eric. <laughs> Still two eyes like piss holes in the snow. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's just doing the, the trip. She was only 16 years old. her name was carter that's my name (laughs) so So, uh yeah if you like a bit of the ultra violence brian give it a whirl it's fun okay yeah i've i've been kind of staying away from most of the dc tv series except for you know peacemaker and doom patrol but Yeah. yeah um Right okay, it's I got funny some how wide guess. and varied the DC world is, eh? I mean, <laughs> I, I saw this and I was like, oh shit, another thing? And then I had to, to, to look at it in Wikipedia and it's like, no, for like five, six years, DC has quietly been, you know, Crushing all it. over the map. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's been this giant Arrowverse on the CW with, you know, Green Arrow and that too, Legends yes. of Tomorrow and The Flash and Super, stuff. Supergirl. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they haven't, I, there's no way I'm getting anywhere near that stuff. That's like, uh, don't, you know, four Star Trek ep- series yeah. worth of stuff to watch, I, right? Like, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I do not but recommend. That's like, with, that's like with Marvel, how everything ties together to one story. And so you kind of feel required to watch it all. DC, it's all, nope. We we make it for every age and every taste, and there's no reason to watch Supergirl. That's fine, but we've got uh, Peacemaker and all this other weird shit. Yeah. So, ask for it by name. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been my big time waster. Lucky me. Hit me. What you got? All right. I've got a couple things. Nothing, nothing too spectacular this week. Um, I did watch Don't Look Up, um, which... Eric, you brought to the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Don't Look Up is the new... It's got um, everybody. like everybody in it. 
Uh, <laughs> um, except except uh, all of a sudden I can't remember Jennifer Lawrence yeah. and I for the life of me I can't remember the main guy's Leo name. DiCaprio. Leo DiCaprio. Thank Leonardo you, Jesus. And yeah. Jonah Hill could not get that out of my mouth. And Meryl um, Streep. Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep as as female Trump and Jonah Hill as her son Jared. I mean, or whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, so it's written by David Sirota, and David Sirota is one of those liberal blogosphere people who was like a guest on the Al Franken radio show a bunch of times back in the mid 2000s. And I mean, it's pretty clear that the whole script was was uh, hatched from the germ of an idea, which he was he's just looking at right wing, you know, I know you are, but what am I isms? in in politics and just going so if there was a giant meteor in the sky visible <laughs> these assholes would just write a com- campaign that says don't look up yeah yeah and that's what this movie's about right <laughs> well yeah and it seems to be like this rosetta stone for all of the other shit that's actually going on right now that's the way i understand it it's basically it's like covid eh, whatever i mean it's literally just something terrible just a big shrug because they don't want to get everybody all worked up that's the feeling I get. But it is, and it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it works in 2022, <laughs> because <laughs> we've all kind of, it's like, too soon, too close to the bone, just, there's like, too much of this just absolute absurdity, and and people are just, don't give a fuck. <laughs> and yeah. here we are. I guess yeah. I watched it, I know a lot of the criticism of this was, it was... I don't know, very smarmy or very, you know, what was it? Insulting the audience? I'm not sure what the problem is people had with it, but I, it, it's inescapable. If this were happening, this is exactly what they would do. They would, if they decided yeah. that they were against doing something about it, probably because they couldn't do anything about it, like, you know, this disease well, and that orange fuckhead we used to have as a leader, uh, they would try and make everybody just ignore it well yeah i mean when the when the argument is literally between just look up and don't look up and like she's giving the speech and she's like they want you to look up but they're looking down on you and i'm like oh my fucking god like that's exactly how that would go like it's not even a joke no it's not because it's like (laughs) it's like DeSantis having his uh covid stuff like a year or two ago when people are like well what do you say about cases rising and he's like and then he like points to them and he's like you're all fear mongers it's like and then the news yeah. just reports about the news being fear mongers instead of hey cases are rising in florida because desantis doesn't give a shit it's so dis- disarmingly uh shocking to me at times and yet it is yeah i uh, I would like someone to tell me how this this I- 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 this analogy is incorrect that this movie makes I yeah. I I think it is absolutely spot on. It is not it is not siding with one side of the audience. It is literally saying no no no, there's reality and then there's not. But that's just it. One side of the audience has rejected reality and that's the yes. movie's point and I don't know how I don't know yeah. that it's possible to communicate at this point across that kind of a barrier like we're in trouble. Yeah, you can. That's exactly my point. There is no both sides ism to this one. It's like there is literally right. one correct side. Something is <laughs> happening. And it's <sighs> not because of the cucks 
or the the socialists or whatever the fuck. It's just god damn it. You're uneducated and you don't want to be educated. That's what it's fucking about. Yep. Well, I'm not looking up. Merca. I'm not looking up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um the other the other somewhat serious and and depressing thing I watched today uh this week. So, there's a there's a YouTube channel called Folding Ideas, and I've been following this guy for a while. And mostly he's a cinema and video games video blogger. But this he put out a video the last week that is by far the longest thing he's ever done is a two and a half hour long YouTube video. Strap in for this thing called Line Goes Up: The Problem with NFTs. Ah. And this is a this guy brings receipts right so so he's he's basically trying to go in and explain he starts by explaining the 2008 uh housing market crash actually and how the how the casino was rigged there and he goes into an extensive deep dive into what cryptocurrency is how it works the the mechanisms the software engineering mechanisms underneath it and then gets it gets deeply embedded into the uh, NFT culture, and just exposes them for the fucking idiots they are for two and a half hours. He he's definitely taking sides, but he's he's got a whole lot of detail, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. There's there's a whole tradition of muckraking journalism that needs to come back because Hunter Thompson is gone, Gore Vidal is gone. We need people <laughs> to just stir the pot a little bit and get in their face. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's so. Thank you for coming to my. Basically, talk. he's 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 got he's got a number of 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 good arguments against it, but but a couple that are worth highlighting and go look into the details if you're interested i'm going to put a link to this video in the show description but um you know the people who are talking about putting everything in the blockchain like your medical records like that is a really really bad place to put your medical records because it's permanent and it's public so maybe don't put information in the blockchain don't put a whole social network in the blockchain if you do that there's no i mean it's bad enough you can't get anything off the internet if you want to anyway but yeah. there's really really no way to get anything off of a blockchain based <laughs> social network well, yeah the, the trick is and, to, yeah don't put anything out there that you you know want to protect like the the memes don't like, want f- like forever yeah what was the first what was the number one movie the year you were born or the month you were born, and then people like all of that. It's like oh, you're just God. giving people your fucking all those birthday. questions are just people trying to figure out what your what your forgot password questions are. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. um, no, the other um, the other big one is like people are promoting NFTs as a way to like say, well, we'll use the video game example. You can you could buy a game. A, a license to a game essentially and right now if you buy a digital license to a game you can't sell that on the used market right so the idea is by buying an mft it is now a thing you could resell to somebody else except that the nft itself is code and it can be written to either give a cut of that sale to the original developer which actually i'm kind of okay with or it could just be written to prevent you from selling it yeah so it's just it's just yet another way in which people who have you know 
entrenched themselves have all the power. It's just that the people who are trying to entrench themselves in this marketplace are tech bros. So, yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, tulip mania? No. Yes. This is exactly <laughs> that. You know, it's... It's and I remember hearing about this in grade school and thinking that is the most irrational, fucked up, weird thing I've ever heard of. Where everyone was investing in tulips in the Netherlands, people were like putting all of their, you know, available money into tulip bulbs. It's like they were not they were not eating because they were investing their money in tulips. And yeah, then the market and those aren't crashed. real like Pokemon cards yeah. or, or Beanie Babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then the market crashes and all of these people are wiped out and it's like for a thing that didn't feed anyone that had no intrinsic value other than it was pretty uh, uh, the idea that NFTs would become this tradable thing I am sure is some smart ass's idea for you know it's it's like another version of the GameStop thing where I'm just going to fuck you up because I know you're dumb enough to fall for this it's it's partly that, and it's basically the modern version of a multi-level marketing scheme, right? It's it's the people who get in first are going to make out like bandits and leave some other group of suckers holding the bag. That's yeah. all it is. This is not this is not a new model, uh, Zoomers <laughs> and millennials. This shit's been going on forever, and every generation has this. Comes to get some, and then they get burned by it, and then they they they. Walk away. Walk away, everybody. Just walk away. And don't look up. But watch the video. Uh, yeah, line goes up. Link in the, in the show notes. Eric, what's your fresh shit? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I was going to talk about Pennyworth, but since that's been handled, uh, nice. another thing on HBO is Super Jail, which is oh, God. <laughs> fucking what? bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cartoon series uh, about basically an extra-dimensional prison and it follows the warden that's his name the warden and basically the crazy shit he does to the prisoners in order to get some you know to make him happy and it's it's just all like uber violent to to the, to the point of ridiculousness yeah um that was a and i that was an adult swim I want thing drugs. years ago yeah it's it, adult swim yeah. basically designs their shows around people that are high at 11 p.m. That's what they're there for. Yeah. And it makes me want to, you know, do some drugs. That's the the thing is that, unfortunately, <laughs> I have no access to drugs, but... You um, you live in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I have access <laughs> he's, to drugs. He's just too lazy it's just to I don't want to do... Yeah. I just don't want to do any of them because I'm old. <laughs> I, I like... I like naps and Metamucil. Yeah. What the fuck am I going to do with LSD? <laughs> Here's the deal, Brian. <laughs> Eric likes the idea of drugs. He just doesn't yes. care enough to go get them. So. Do you remember how beat up your body would feel like the <laughs> night after LSD? You know. Oh, I'm never touching LSD again. Oh, well, yeah. But, and, like there are you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it around us either, because you'll also remember we were talking about how we could set you on fire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, yeah thanks. I, you're going to have yeah. to refresh me. I don't remember fun, any of fun this, Fun stories of our alleged behavior of you. <laughs> I, I do not remember any of this. You'll have to fill me in later. Uh, yeah. Well, you should do it. If you want something on the other end of the spectrum for uh, cartoons on uh, HBO Max specifically, uh, find, uh -huh. uh, oh, I can't remember the full title, but it's like the, the Misadventures of Flapjack. 
I think is what it's called. And it's very uh, SpongeBob-y kind of vibe. And it's just about a little uh-huh. kid that lives on some magical wharf and his like adopted mother is a whale. <laughs> his best friend is like a crotch. How, how is this a thing that you know about? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was, I used to be on like Nickelodeon or something. It would just come on randomly on cable. My wife and I saw it one day and we're like, I love this show. Cause he just wants to eat, <laughs> just wants to eat candy and get into weird adventures with his fucking whale parent. <laughs> it's just so weird. Like find it and tell me what you think. Cause it's just out there, man. But in a totally different way. Yeah. But don't do any drugs. Just watch it straight and see how that goes. Eric. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the advice we're giving you yeah. here. Well, yeah, yeah. it worked for super jail, super jail. Ask for it by name. <laughs> and now I want to talk about a movie that I loved as a child, uh, that I know you love too. Blues Brothers. And from this, we will not be discussing any of the ancillary things like uh, the Blues Brothers, you know, a briefcase full of the blues, uh, Blues what? Brothers 2000, Ugh. or the various video games that for some reason were made. No, no, we're just talking about 1980s Blues Brothers. The movie. Because none of that other stuff exists. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, well, it's, I just, it was, I will just it say- was sort of the template. It was sort of the template for what happened to Ghostbusters. They basically took something that was on its own self-contained awesome and they said, how can we cash in on it some more? Yeah. Actually, not they. Dan Aykroyd said, how can I cash in on this more? And then he did it again with Ghostbusters. So. Yeah. Only by that. So by the time. is this the first Saturday Night Live yes. movie about a Saturday Night Live character? Yes. Ever? Ever. I think. And then you wouldn't get another yeah, one yeah. for 12 years when Wayne's World came out. And Wayne's World is basically just modeled completely on the Blues Brothers template, as are pretty much every SNL movie. So they definitely set the standard early yeah. in 1980. Oh, I think it's funny that everyone always mentions, you know, when they, when they talk about Saturday Night Live actors in comedy movies, they, they talk about Stripes. Um, Animal House. Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah. But, but Blues Brothers, I feel, was oddly forgotten. Somehow, and everyone who's seen it says, oh yeah, this is an, a brilliant movie. But it's not, it's not remembered as quickly as these other films. Which is weird because it came out, what, mid-1980. And I think it was like top 10 for the year. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody's going to beat out Empire Strikes Back. So that's, that's a given, but it did a very good showing. And for a movie that is so not structured, uh, that is amazing to me because it's all attitude and it's all just there for entertainment. It's, it's a very simple story. Oh yeah. It's, you know, like I, I, it's a mix of the two simplest, uh, of, you know, film structures. Uh, we're going to put on a show. And a road movie. Yeah, it's like they are they are just trying the uh, uh, Joliet Jake and Elwood Blues are on a mission to raise enough money to save the orphanage that they were brought up in. That's it. Yeah, and their idea is to put the band they were in back together to put on a show to raise enough money. And it's like they don't they're not that big of a deal. <laughs> they're not yeah yeah the, the whole no. time you're like how is that gonna happen <laughs> and, and most of the stuff and, in this yeah. movie all they gotta come with is five happen? grand too and yeah how so yeah. i 
I got to tell you guys, like, I have not seen the Blues Brothers in a long-ass time, and I watched it this week for the show. Yay. And I don't think I enjoyed it more on any previous viewing than I did this time right? around. It's, it's, like, I was, it's like a fine I wine. Was, it gets so yeah. much better with age. Way impressed. It is, it is a movie about two things. It is a movie about killer music performances and crazy ass car shit. Yeah, and yeah. it that's all it is. It is just cars and music. Yeah, mayhem, full blast. Yeah, yeah. For two and a half goddamn hours, it is a little on the too long side. Well, but 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 I yeah. I give it a bunch of slack because wow. you figure it's it's like two hours and twenty some odd minutes long, but like almost twenty minutes of that is the third act car chase back to Chicago. Yeah, and it's like yes, I applaud you for your overdoneness, John Landis, because that's but just genius. this movie. This movie had no fixed budget, and they took advantage of that. Yeah, and it ballooned out of control, and they were terrified. They were like, uh oh, this movie is gonna fail. And so they they gave it a limited release, despite the fact that it cost so goddamn much. And uh, it, it did well, so then they gave it the wider release, and of course, it became what it is. Yeah. The last movie by John Landis anyone ever gave a shit about, I think. Well, no, because um, this, is, this is like his uh, plateau. Because after that one, he would do American Werewolf in London, and then Trading Places, and, uh, then, yeah. it's, and then it's like a downward slide. Like, Three Amigos is probably a blip, but I don't okay, like... Okay, so the last of his that I gave a shit about. Yeah, but, but during <laughs> that like period between... Uh, I, I don't count Kentucky Fried Movie, because that's more Zucker, Abram Zucker. But like from Animal House to like Trading Places, uh, that's a hell of a run for a director. But this was only his like second big studio movie. If you conclude, mm-hmm. if you include Animal House, but uh, he just acquits himself very well, and the fact that he that he had any sort of control over any of it is just astonishing to me to this day, because it could have been the biggest train wreck ever, and yet somehow it wasn't. I don't. How do you explain? Well, Animal House. I mean, Animal House. Talk- Animal House until he killed the guy with the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he killed Vic Morrow. And it was all downhill. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I, I mean, let let's talk about what I mean. In addition to the outlandish car foo, which they come right out the gate with a ridiculous car jump on this thing. But yeah, but what what propels this movie is this just incredible smorgasbord of kick ass musical guests, right? You've got Aretha Franklin. You've got Ray Charles. You've got um, Cab Calloway, <laughs> John, right? John Lee Hooker. I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I love the fact when they pit, when they pitch this movie. Uh, I guess it was Universal ended up picking it up, right? Uh, Lou Wasserman, and they pushed to get like current acts in there, uh, like Rose Royce, who did the Car Wash song and whatnot. And, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. And to their credit, the creative team, <laughs> Ackroyd and Landis and all them, just said, nope, it's straight up. This this is what we want, and this is what we're getting. Yeah. And uh, they stuck to their guns, and it so works because and, it makes it so timeless. It's amazing. And not only that, he didn't just get, like, the right performers. He said they, they, they must have speaking parts. Yeah. And, and yes. like, other than Ray Charles, none of them had been in a film. Which is awesome. Yeah, Aretha Franklin doing Think in the Diner and calling out 
um, you know, the whatever the guy's name is, Matt Murphy. Absolute, absolute classic scene. Ray Charles and Shake Your Tail Feather, and Ray Charles shooting a gun. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, <laughs> now, you bring up Shake It, uh, Shake Your Tail Feather. I was watching that scene again, and it struck me. I'm like, did John Hughes just rip this whole sequence off for the uh, yes. Shake It Up sequence yeah. in Ferris Bueller? Because it's, it's uncanny. God damn it, John Hughes. <laughs> That's like the second <laughs> week in a row where he's just disappointed I on many levels. Had the same thought watching it, yes. Uh, but the fact that so, the fact that they, they got these legends, but they were all, except for like Ray Charles, I guess, were all in very fallow periods of their careers. They hadn't had any real successes or hits in a while. And that's one reason the studio was like, no, we maybe should do something a little bit more, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they're like, no, fuck you. Fuck you. And then they had natty hits in a while because of disco and all that bullshit. Yeah. It's like nobody wanted to hear yeah. the good stuff anymore. Uh, but you, you, yeah, but they bring it. Yeah. And like James Brown as the, as <laughs> the preacher. Oh, it's fuck. Like, how did I forget James it's Brown? Like, yeah. How, it's like, but you think of it, it's like, how did any of those people sort of fade? But then, yeah disco pretty much just took over everything so that that bit it's not even like a scene but johnny lee hooker i'd never heard boom boom until i was mm-hmm. young i saw that as a kid and i yeah. went oh that's so awesome boom 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 mm-hmm. how 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 hey, hey. well to do the the movie justice i mean it's Ackroyd wrote the first draft and it was like 324 pages and it was just this like random what yeah it was like a he wasn't never, it wasn't in screenplay form he like, didn't know how to write a screenplay yeah, it was like a so he just it was yeah it was basically like a novel version yeah. he gave everybody's backstory everybody's which is kind of cool yeah. and then Landis came in and actually applied a screenplay format yeah, and into then, it yeah cut it down to the two and a half hours but when when Ackroyd delivered it to the producer uh, he just said, "Be at your house at six or whatever. Be at your house tonight." And the guy shows up, and it's this giant, like, phone book sized script, quote unquote. And Ackroyd had wrapped it in the Yellow Pages cover, <laughs> and just basically said, "The Return of the Blues Brothers by the Scriptotron 9000," and like just left it for him. Uh, and the, the producer's just like, "What the hell am I supposed to do with this?" <laughs> and they had no budget. They had nothing. I'm just amazed that this thing got made. Still, this is crazy. Well, and and here's the other thing is that the whole, in addition to it having these wild musical numbers, I mean, the whole thing is this heightened reality. The reality is that the, the Blues Brothers are these two characters who live in a cartoon universe and nope. are completely unfazed by it. Mm-hmm. I right? think, it, I, I'm sorry, like, I got to take exception with that. It's actually, they're in a real universe, 
but they are working for God. It's yeah. actually a biblical story. Well, but well, yeah, I mean, okay, so so we we established that the the real world isn't quite where we are, right? Like they go to see the nun, and the doors are opening and shutting on their own, and the nun, you know, just moves backwards, you know, mysteriously, and and it's shot in a in a very sort of like horror movie fantasy, you know, canted angles, <laughs> like well, if, you know, way. If The Exorcist were a comedy, basically, is how that one shot. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, they're basic. They're, they're saying it pretty clearly, like. You're not exactly in the physical, real world well, here. This is the Blues Brothers world, look, and it is not. It is heightened. I look at it this way. I, again, yeah. Again, I'm sorry. Again, I say this is that's be, they are right out and saying, you know, when they say they're on a mission from God, they actually are. That's yeah. kind of the caveat like, of the yeah, film. They're like superheroes. God is an active character in this well, in this narrative. Well, I, look at it this no, way. No, I mean, come on, like. God, God isn't responsible for the fact that the trains going by the apartment are constant, right? Like, <laughs> how frequently does the train come by? So frequently you won't even notice. Yeah. That's just nope. that's just nope, a heightened but, reality. But God does make sure that they survive the uh, the rocket launcher. He makes sure that yes. the Nazis, when they go off the edge of the freeway, somehow end up in the air above <laughs> the Sears Tower. You know, the it's like that car dropping in front of the fucking. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, he holds the Bluesmobile together until just the moment they get to the county clerk's office yeah. it's like there's so many hints well, that god is on for the ride look at it this way brian i i treat it more as like it's uh almost like magical realism if you will because yeah. you start with the the whole opener with the prison jake getting out and the whole nine yards and it's very pretty much just cut and dry uh realism and then they do the jump over the bridge uh, and it's ridiculous mm -hmm. because it's almost like vertical. Uh, and that's when you realize yeah. that the rules are probably not going to apply. And then they keep doing that over and over and over. It's just a heightened reality yeah. that's there no, for no, the joke. I'm not, I don't call it the cartoon universe because I'm criticizing. I think it's awesome. So like there's a whole, there's a whole chase scene early on in the movie where to, to escape the cops, um, Elwood drives the Bluesmobiles through a mall, <laughs> right? Which is, I mean, again, Legendary. car foo, right? Legendary. They're just going to the stunt coordinators and like, all right, what have you always wanted to do? Oh, I want to do a car chase where we just drive through <laughs> everything in a mall, right? And 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 there they are, staying cool as a cucumber, just like, oh, hey, look, they got they got a you know pure one import, pure one imports, yeah. and then they crash through it oh, right the, the, without like being phased in any way, shape, or form. It's just it's just the tone of the movie. Crazy shit I, happens, and these guys are like, "Yeah, it's Tuesday." Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I'm with you. I I love the deadpan of this film, which you could only do with these two characters who flinch at nothing. Yeah. All I'm right. saying is that it's yeah the the reasoning behind it I think is more than uh I don't know. Uh, production design laziness that they couldn't figure yeah. out how to justify a car jump like like when the bus in speed jumps over that 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 gap in the freeway yeah, yeah, yeah. that's dumb but when huh. they do See, jumps in this that's god because they ride out and told you no, they're on wait a, a mission wait a god. minute i'm just sitting here saying shit's goofy and you're justifying it by giving it a, a, a an actor in the form of god doing it i don't give yeah. a shit it's just fun well yeah <laughs> I like the, yeah, I think the, it undercuts I think it undercuts the story if you don't say, you know, as stupid as it is because, you know, there's no such thing as god. 
But in this thing, there is. I like that. Yeah. Well, I like okay. that uh, the Landis. That was his uh, main thing for it. He's the one that came up with the "We're on a Mission from God" motif. And uh-huh. for the life of me, I can't figure out why that wouldn't have been an Ackroyd's treatment. But it mm-hmm. it really just hammers the whole thing. We're on a mission from God. And it's just like, we're, we're holy, we're protected, nothing's going to happen to us. And literally nothing does until the very end when they, they finally go to jail. But it's like, the, the destruction they leave in their wake is just, yeah. it goes from strange to goofy to ridiculous to just outright fucking crazy. And it's like, they never let up yeah. off the gas. And that's the genius of the whole movie, is it just accelerates uh, Eric- and keeps going. Eric referenced the rocket launcher. Let's 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 have a word about Carrie Fisher. Oh the yeah, Brothers. oh so yeah. If you didn't have a crush on her just... because of Star Wars by now, you're gonna have a crush on her because of this Blues Brothers. She's thing. so much hotter than she ever was in any Star Wars thing in this. And and there she is, just sitting there in her car, smoking a cigarette, looking across the street, casually throws the cigarette, reaches down. Pulls out a rocket launcher, fires it all into a building, you know, and yeah. drives away. But here's the thing: is right at the yeah, moment when, when the parole officer and the two uh, sheriffs show up to get them, and so they're like, "Oh, they're caught!" And then she blows up the place, and they get away. It's like there's just the whole series of Deus Machina events throughout this entire thing. Yeah. It's just absurd, but it works. It's like it's almost like a Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon at that point. You know what I mean? It's just, it, mm-hmm. it goes from just stupid well, to dumb to ridiculous all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, it. And not to keep, not to keep hammering a point, but of course, do say smoxina, max, uh, machina means a machine of God. Yeah. So it's literally <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that, uh, they roll through, uh, and go from just like pissing off one group to the next until there's this daisy chain of groups chasing them to the very end to to either arrest them kill them whatever and so it starts yeah. small and then by the end you've got the entire state trooper you've got the entire chicago police force <laughs> you've got the entire <laughs> illinois national guard the swat team like everything it's just the most ridiculous crescendo <laughs> uh and they do it all in daily plaza and it's just astonishing that they were able to pull it off. But I guess it was a new mayor yeah. who had just taken over not too much previous uh, from actual daily who just ran the city forever. And they said, we want to drive a car through daily Plaza and break the windows. So they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. Why not? <laughs> so, <laughs> and they let him. And so it's in the movie. I'm like, that's astonishing. Oh, it's amazing. Let's talk about some of the people who are chasing us. So, Henry Gibson is in this movie. I hate Illinois Nazis. As the leader of the Illinois <laughs> <Yeah>. Nazis. <laughs> and so in keeping with the, tying it back to maybe don't look up, right? So here's a scene. This is a movie from 1980 where there's literal Nazis. And, you know, and he gives this speech here. Hail Trump. Hail our people. Hail victory. <laughs> we don't exploit other groups. We... We don't gain anything from their presence. They need us and not the other way around. We were not meant to beg for moral validation from some of the most despicable creatures to ever populate the planet. 
We were meant to overcome, overcome all of it, because that is natural and normal for us. What are you oh. going to do about it, Whitey? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually played a real clip of a real alt-right person there. Here's Henry Gibson and the Blues Brothers. White men. White women. A swastika is calling you. The Jew is using the black as muscle against you. And you are left there helpless. Well, what are they going to do about it? Notice the difference here in that the crowd around him doesn't like Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> well, here's the thing. in 1980, you can't have this character without having everyone around him yeah. be pissed. <laughs> here's the thing, though. They're actually wearing third reich world war ii uniforms uh, they uh -huh. have been the bad guys in movies the trick is to not wear those and i think stephen miller figured that out yeah well <laughs> here's the deal with the the nazi rally in the movie is that's actually based on something that happened in skokie illinois not too much before this movie yep where the nazis won their freedom of speech case uh and was allowed right. to march and so that's basically Ackroyd and Belushi and company just making a total mockery of that whole idea because you get to the thing and the, and the Blues Brothers are just sitting back going, you know, what's going on? And the cops like fucking Nazis. And so they're like, screw it. They speed up, go around and then make them jump off the bridge into the river and everybody cheers. I'm like, that's what you fucking do to Nazis. That's what you do to Nazis. You don't let right. them talk. When I, was a, when I was a kid, that was that to me was so funny because it's it felt so random. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> wait, what's going on up there? Oh, uh, LARPing. You know, it's like it could have been any fucking thing. And now, yeah. I fucking hate LARPers, you know, yeah. but they made it Nazis and Nazis are funny. But then it turns out, actually, it's based on something. Yeah. <laughs> but they go after just every, every redneck, dumbass, white dude. Uh, like they. Oh, like yeah. The well, that was the thing when I was a kid. When they, they and the Booze Brothers are kind of dicks, right? Oh, yeah. So they they just show up at Bob's Country Bunker <laughs> to steal somebody else's gig, right? Boys. And they just show up yeah. and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're playing. We're the good old boys. We're the good old Blues Brother Boys yeah. band." And 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 they just ask the girls like, "Okay, what kind of music people like here?" And she's like, "Oh, we've got both kinds: country and western." Yeah, and western. That was one and, of my favorite lines as a kid. It just makes me laugh. Every yeah, time and and the only two songs they know are the theme to Rawhide and Stand by Your Man, <laughs> <laughs> and they crush it. But then, of course, the true blues yeah. brothers fashion by the end, they owe like three hundred dollars for all the beer they drank and so <laughs> finagle right. their way out. And that's when all the the redneck cowboys get on their tail uh, to kill them. So I always think, you know, the the good old Blues Brothers boys band, like the the band that actually had the gig. It's their fault. They never showed up yeah. when they finally roll in. <laughs> exactly. The place is closing <laughs> for the night. I mean, if anything, they just took advantage of an opportunity. Yeah. Well, I love the fact I, I, I can't fault you there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love the fact that the basic structure is like you say, it's uh, put on a show, but they also do it sort of like almost like a heist movie where you got to go get all of the people in your your group uh to take care of it so they gotta yeah. go find the musicians and then they do all of the the wooing so they get the bulk of the band murph and the magic tones pretty easily 
but then they got to go get uh, Lulu and Blue, uh, yeah, Mr. Fabulous. Mr. Fabulous. And the Mr. Fabulous scene where he's the maitre d' at, uh, is it Shea Paul? I think is the restaurant. I thought he was an actual yeah. actor. That's the thing. I was, he yeah. was so good. I was like, yeah. oh, he's an actor and a musician. Nope. <laughs> nope. Speaking of John Hughes ripping shit off. Yeah, Shea Paul. I'm pretty sure Shea it Paul is. is the same is. restaurant that Ferris Bueller goes yeah, to. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? Yeah, probably. It is. Yeah. So, uh, again, fucking John Hughes. But that whole s- and that guy who plays Murph, this is interesting too. Murph of Murph and the Magic Tones, that is an actor musician because it's it was supposed to be Paul Schaefer, yeah. but he couldn't make it. <laughs> Fucking Paul Schaefer, yeah. that would have been so awesome. Well, that's the deal. Is Paul Schaefer was one of the he's the guy that put together the actual band for them when they were going on tour mm-hmm. and doing the SNL stuff, but he had to drop out because of other commitments. I think he ended up doing a some other show or movie and that's when Belushi's like Paul Schaefer will never be a blues brother and then like cut him out and, so, <laughs> and make him look like big beef uh, and that's when you get Murph but yeah the, the whole sequence well, he, of, yeah he wrote It's Raining Men I mean that's that's a little tough to <laughs> to, to work into the the blues repertoire yeah you know? that's true <laughs> but uh, but that whole sequence at Shea Paul just that is a gem that's just classic SNL movie cinema uh, right there because it's and Paul Rubin's cameo. Yeah. And that was the same year that, that he scene. also showed up in Cheech and Chong still smoking. So the banner year for Paul Rubin's, uh, <laughs> but Jake and Elwood just sitting at the table being total dirt bags, like throwing food and catching it in the mouth and the whole thing. But then when Belushi goes over to the table, how much for the women? The little girl. <laughs> and I just, every time. How I much see, for your wife? Ha 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 It just makes me laugh every time. Because it shouldn't be inherently funny, but it is because he just sells it to with an inch. Uh, but it's also yeah. very typical John Landis. He doesn't Landis. care. Yeah. yeah. It's also very typical John Landis uh, comedy where it's just the, the, the weirdos are making everybody uncomfortable, but they're all trying to ignore the fact that they're uncomfortable. And so that just creates the tension in the scene. It's very fun. Uh, the one person chasing them I never understood and still don't is the John Candy character. He's just a cop. You know, he's just a cop. That's, there's, there, there, there doesn't seem to be a reason for John Candy to be there except to delay their arrest yeah. at the final gig. I, I like his character because I think he's almost amused by their antics and he's just there to see what happens next. I think, yeah. Because when they're. Oh, no. I, yeah. I like the way he's used. I just don't understand it. Yeah. But he's there. So he's, you, I mean, yeah, he's there because Canadians in Chicago. That's why well, he, what? He's, yeah. he's there so that at the, the Palace Hotel ballroom, they can come in and he can sit down and going, ah, I kind of feel like a drink. Anybody want a drink? Want an orange, orange whip? whip? Orange, orange whip? whip? Orange Three whip? orange whips. <laughs> it's the classic line that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, but it's just so quotable. That's the other thing is there's so much shit in this movie that to this day you can just sit down and quote. And if someone's seen the movie, bam, they're your new best friend. You know what I mean? It's just, it's uncanny. But the fact that, uh, it just one, I, I didn't really notice this until this last viewing, but when it starts out and Frank Oz has the cameo as the guy in the, mm-hmm. the prison counting off all of Jake's stuff, you know, one prophylactic, one prophylactic soiled i mean it's all oiled (laughs) but then they get to us was like one timex wristwatch broken 
And so you're like, why does he have a broken wristwatch? And then literally every time there's a wreck, the cop somewhere in the scene, a cop will go, I think my watch just broke. And then you hear it like four times. <laughs> so you start with Jake's watch being broken. And then suddenly like everybody's watch is getting broken. It's like, like little tiny details like that, that you never pick up on. And I finally noticed that one and just made me laugh. <laughs> That's that's why the script was the size of the yellow pages, apparently. Yeah, I'm sure in the bigger version there was some explanation for why the watches are broken. Uh, but yeah, it's just we're on a mission from God. It's just it's, so uh, it is a classic for a reason. It's it's simple, it it's efficient as hell. I mean, there's for for something that started with three hundred words, there there aren't that many words in this. Yeah. It's all visual. And that's another reason I love it. It's it's a movie that actually is a movie, not a play yeah. on film. Uh, I would say it's it's so, got so yeah insane car shit that it's like that that is only there because of cocaine. Oh yeah, you don't get that kind <laughs> oh, of yeah. idea. This is not cocaine, on the cocaine. movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean the fact that the cocaine was just like factored into the budget. I mean that should tell you everything. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Aykroyd is real thin and full of energy, folks. This is a cocaine movie, okay? It's 1980. Yeah. Well, and the, John Belushi is, well, John Belushi. Alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and once you, so, once you watch So here's this, a question I've got, though. Yeah. If, 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 so we've done an episode of the show where we talk about how comedy doesn't age well, how these things just don't hold up, and this one... Yeah. does same I, I, reason it, yeah same it reason funny? it doesn't it doesn't it isn't based on uh a uh, wit or wordplay it is the always funny visual insanity yeah i mean there's nothing like funny about a car wreck but there's something fucking hilarious about 50 cop cars all piling up on top of each yeah. other <laughs> yeah it's just so absurd and that the characters are just so chill about the whole yeah. thing just like yeah well the yep. The, the I think I think maybe it works because the comedy itself was timeless at the time. You couldn't really say the Blues Brothers were of this generation or yeah. that generation. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. but the fact that they, you know they're wearing those sort of classic black and white suits, like there's there's no, I mean it's an it's of an era but not of an era. Uh, the fact that the music is rooted in the past but still fairly contemporary because it always finds a new audience. Uh, the fact, like Eric was saying, it's not rooted in any sort of real wordplay. It's almost like a like a Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello kind of a thing. Yeah. And so for that yeah. reason, it's got very timeless elements that you can just sort of let flow over you, and then, and and it doesn't date itself. Like like you guys watched Caddyshack a while back and didn't like it because it is really dated. And this one, I think, same era, but totally different flavor. And I think it just works in its to its strengths where it's I it's was not. actually I was even actually gonna make a controversial statement. I don't find Animal House to be that funny anymore. Yeah. I, that's a tough I, one. I don't think that aged well. And oh that's why Blues Brothers got made, by the way, yeah. on the strength of John Belushi in Animal House and them saying sure. this movie was a huge hit and he's barely in it. Let's get him to do anything he wants. Well, but look at it this way. It's, uh, they, they made Blues Brothers on the strength of Belushi having been uh, in the number one rated show, had the number one rated album, and then 
coming off of Animal House. And so it was like, he was yeah. everywhere. In the same year. Yeah. In the same year, he was number one in three different uh, yeah, genres. And that's when he and Belushi went, you know what? Maybe we should uh, do a Blues Brothers movie. And so the rest is history. But the fact that it got greenlit and they didn't have a budget or a script. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what the hell are you doing, Universal? Especially with these guys. Like, they've never made a movie. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wow. So it's just like this weird storied elephant uh, in cinematic history. I, I, in film school, I had an argument with my professor who I got along with, you know, like completely on just about everything, except this one thing. I was like, no, this is anarchy. This is the comedy of anarchy. That's why it's awesome. Yeah. It's not stupid. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> well, I mean, they had sense enough to, to follow the mold of something like it's a mad, 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 mad world. It's like, we'll just get a bunch of celebrity cameos. There'll be a mm, bunch of mayhem. Yeah. Uh, and you don't really have to spend a lot of time on plot. Like you understand the motivation and yeah. you just roll with it. And it's just like they hit the gas and they run. And then occasionally just a random celebrity cameo will show up. And you're like, oh, did I just see who I thought I saw? Uh, and then they drop it. It's just structurally you know, just very simple, but very fun. Now that you mention it, yeah. there I, I'd never picked up on the mad, 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 mad world element. And it still does that better because, again, it's so efficient. Mad, 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 mad world is way too long. And the bits are way too dragged out. Yeah. But this does the same thing just at exactly the right amount of time. Yeah, exactly. And then just everything, just like I said, gets destroyed in their wake. Like <laughs> the mm. gas station just blows up in the background. <laughs> just out of, Like they don't even wink at it. They're like, it just blows up. I mean, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. So whatever. I, Oh, oh yeah, another defense of the, the god thing, by the way, that I just realized is that no one in all of this violence dies except the Nazis. And good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they, they have it coming. But the fact that uh, the end sequence, so you get the chase, it's just, it's some of the most perfect filmmaking to me ever. And it's why I love this movie to this day. Because like I said, the third act is just nothing but the road chase. But then they get to the Dealey Plaza, the car falls apart, and then it's the mad dash to get up to the Assayer's office. And they're in the yeah. they're in the elevator going up and it's like girl from Ipanema. Yes. And then they cut to all of the you know, and all of the, the military and police and tanks and helicopters and whatever, uh, chasing them. And so they keep doing these massive groups just rushing towards them and then cut to them in the elevator all nice and calm it's like how long is this elevator ride jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> and so they just they stretch it out but you don't ever really think about it until it's over and then you're like well, that well the stretching it out's what makes that funny yeah, yeah, right yeah. it's it, it's the juxtaposition <laughs> so it, but yeah it, it works it works no matter how old you are yeah it's it's good stuff but uh i i personally wonder if they did that because they overshot uh, military and cops and shit on Dealey. They were like, well, we've got free reign. Let's shoot it all. Yeah. And then when they looked at it, they're like, how do we make this f funny or even make <laughs> sense? And <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact and they said, oh, the elevator. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, the, it's such a simple joke, but it just makes me laugh to no end yeah. when the, when the SWAT guys are coming in and they're rappelling down the front and you just hut, 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 hut. So every time you hear the SWAT teams, they're always hut, 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 It's like, who came up with that? You're a genius. You deserve a raise. So I think we all agree. Blues Brothers, the original, is 
an unqualified masterpiece. It's, yes, it's on the national. I mean, I can't yes. find. I tried to find faults, and I can't. Yeah. I mean, even even if I pushed myself, I was like, even those faults, I like. <laughs> well, it's it's they're not. False. We 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 make each other watch a lot of old fucking movies on this show, and this was a good one. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we did yeah. it. Well, there's a reason yeah. it's on the National Film Registry. I mean, that should tell you everything right there. Someone had sense enough to notice that it's a gem and needs to be preserved. Uh, enough said. Yeah. Enough said. Yeah, so with that, we close our, our uh, investigation of the Blues Brothers, which you found because you performed some searching. We magically turned up in it because God loves our podcast. Uh, if you want to <laughs> tell us more of what we should make a podcast about, tell them what to do, Brian. Well, you can tweet at us. We're at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. Or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram with Magnificently Huge Podcast. You can email MagnificentlyHuge at gmail.com and tell us what God told you to get you to find our podcast. If you want to not remember any of that, just remember MagHuge, MagHuge.com. There's links to all that crap on our website. There's all our old shows, which, of course, you can just find if you subscribe to the podcast like you know you should, like God wants you to. God wants you to subscribe. Subscribe, or God will be mad, and then share it. Share it long and wide. Spread the word. Spread the gospel of the Magnificently Huge podcast. Oh, I can't do this anymore. Just, yeah, it's a show. Do the thing. <laughs>